How about saying that with me? Transforming communities through knowing Christ and loving people. Well, you don't seem convinced, so how about saying it one more time? Transforming <laughs> communities through knowing Christ and loving people. As you know, there are, there are four key words that I would like to uh, uh, emphasize in this tagline. The first of which is transformation. The second is loving people. The third is knowing Christ, and the fourth is community, right? So the word transformation, we've often in our, in our Christian walk, we've heard the term transformation so often used. And at times it's so overused that it just becomes a familiar term. But you know what? Paul mentions that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says this, Don't copy the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. So here we see that it emphasizes personal change. The desire to change is within the core of who we are. So when God created us, He created us with that, with that DNA inside of us to want to change. So when I consulted the Lord in the early days as we began to church plant and I, and I asked Him, Lord, how is it, what, what do you want to see happen through us as a church? And because we were placed in the city of KC, uh, phonetically the, the term KC uh, began to play in my mind. So the, the letter K and the letter C, right? And immediately the Lord dropped this term knowing Christ and then had placed uh, this aspect and a mission that we are about transformation. So, in, in, in all sincerity, the Lord has actually really called us as a church to be change agents. That's what transformation is, that we are called to transform. Can you imagine yourself being part of transforming this city, being part of transforming uh, your workplace, your university, your school, your family, your neighborhood, I mean, just, just imagine that, but within you and I, we have that ability. We have, in fact, the potency that is required to bring about this, this change within our community. Now, let me give you an example. Now, when you see within the context of the, of the insect world, we see the, the aspect of metamorphosis which is actually the word transformation. It is changed from within. And there is a change in form. You find that a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, and we see that. Uh, let me give you another example now. Water, uh, the chemical formula for water is H2O, and it, and it is in three different forms. You find it in solid, in liquid, and in gas. But at the right temperature, when heat is added to each form, the form begins to then change from solid it changes to liquid and from liquid it changes to gas. And that's, that's what God calls, us, God calls us to do. He calls us to really be a change agent way when the right temperature, when we begin to understand and know and feel the sins of the fire of the Holy Spirit and that when that comes upon us and when we experience that, personal so when there is personal change within then we take that and we begin to change whatever state or whatever form that we find ourselves ourselves in now it can happen and it will happen 
but it demands this aspect that I've mentioned earlier change first from within us right a change in our mindsets before we can attempt to change our world so Casey City Church friends we have been tasked with this with the responsibility of being a change agent this is mine this is yours and this is our responsibility right will you choose today to be that change agent that will commit to bring his kingdom down to earth we pray the prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so you and i we are these conduits to bring to bring what we see in heaven what we experience in heaven to bring that down to earth and that's how we actually really see transformation so say it one more time with me our mission tagline transforming communities through knowing christ and loving people thank you give me
One more time. Give me Jesus. Sing it like you really want him this morning. Come on. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Why don't you stand with me and sing this one more time? Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Thank you. Isn't it good? Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. One day in the house of the Lord is? A thousand elsewhere is? <laughs> oh man, you guys can't be tricked. That's good. Hallelujah. Okay. Hey, life is a series of initiations of the soul. So what is initi- initi- initiation? It means that you're experiencing something for the first time. It's example like, Losing your first tooth, and some say there's a tooth fairy, and I don't know how many of you believe in that. Uh, your first tooth, your first day at school. Or the first day you began driving. I remember my first day at school. Uh, believe it or not. I think I was seven years old, yeah. I mean, I'm excluding kindergarten, but when I went to what we call standard one, maybe six. Uh, my eldest brother took me to school. And, and, and I remember this. He left me in class and I, I actually cried when I was in class. I, I cried that they had to go and call him. He was, he was in secondary school. So he took me and went to his class. In secondary school, that was my first, that was my first, first time. And now when my kids go to school and when they cry, I say, come on, toughen up, guys. <laughs> what do you mean? Why are you crying now? You know? <laughs> don't be, I don't say don't be like that. But I say, come on, toughen up now. <laughs> so what's been your, what's been your, your experience that, that was my first initiation to primary school, you know, with everyone that you get, not, not like how it is here. 20, 25, you got like 45, 50 kids in one class, you know, you know that, that sort of a thing. And, and it's, it's like, you know, you've gone through this door and it, it, closes, it closes behind you. And once you go through that door, you don't, you don't go back as such once you are an initiate. I mean, yesterday we, uh, we were blessed to be invited for, uh, for a young boy who turned from 12, he turned 13. And... There was an initiation as such that within the Jewish culture, you, when you hit 13, you become, you're classified as an adult. So that's an initiation. It's like a bar mitzvah, you call it, right? So, you know, people prayed and, and, and declared 
things over this young boy to believe that he is going to be the one that God has called him into. Now, when I take teams overseas, they always have to go through what I call a food initiation. So they have to. There's no such thing. The, 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 uh, the caveat that I have over the teams that come with me is this. You cannot say no to me once you're overseas. If you do, I'll leave you there and come home. So they cannot say no to me. So they all have to say yes, right? So they have to eat any food that we give them. So I remember once uh, a team of young people when I was in the other church that, that I was a youth pastor there, and, and I took them. And so we went to this food market and we saw loads of gross little crawly creepers, right? And they were fried. And so we had fried scorpions, we had fried this, we had fried that. So I said, okay, all of you need to have these fried grasshoppers. And so they had no choice. And when they ate it, they said, oh man, it tastes like shrimp, fried shrimp. So, you know, sometimes we are so afraid of these new things that we don't dare try. But when you try it, you then realize that, man, it's, it's so amazing. It is so, it is so amazing. You know, it's, it's bizarre. These, uh, uh, these, these recently, we, we needed to get access into our subfloor right under, under the house, and we had a building inspector come, and they had asked me, do you have like a manhole? And we said, oh, no, there's no real manhole under this house because it, it's not too high up above the ground. It's about 300, maybe 350, and it's, you know, you've you got to be like a, a, a marine to crawl under in that sense. And, and then we anyway figured out, okay, let's go into this place that we call the shoe cupboard, open it, and then let's cut a hole and see whether someone could go in. And as we did that, as we were about to do that, I lifted a fo the false timber floor that we had. And as soon as I lifted that, I saw a trap door that then reminded us 18 years ago when we moved into this house, they actually cut that. But it was covered by this false floor that we had put over, false timber floor that we had put, or floating timber floor that, that we had put over. And you know, friends, often in life, God takes us through doors and he, and he creates a, this open door for us. And it happened, it may have happened a long while ago that you've seen this open door. And over time, what happens is this, you and I go through particular initiations. Some are good and some are bad. And some of these initiations close this open door that's been there all along. All along. And no one can get through. And you yourself don't even realize that it is there. Until you deal with that false mindset. With that false notion of who Jesus is. And when you deal with that, then you suddenly realize, oh man, there has been this opening all this while. And for 18 years, I've not gone through that. For 18 years, I've not put my head through that to see what's under the floor. So for 18 years, we don't get into this other world that's there for you and I. So life is that we go through a series. Uh, we go through a series of these things we come up with. You know, different religious mindsets, personal truths, and all of that, that, that begin to govern the way we live and, and, and inhibit so often this abundant life and this, this, this life of, of, of tremendous opportunities and of, and of this living hope. 
And when we sing that song, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, man, we want all of Jesus, not some of him. Isn't that right? I'm sure if I were to ask you this question, you and I will say, we want all, right. not just some. But then, if we, if we correctly check our lives, we only have some. We don't have all because to have all demands a verdict from you and I. Demands something from us that, that often we don't feel like giving that up. So this year, as we re-engage the gospel, as we look at the series to reintroduce Jesus over a seven-week period, we want to look at the seven I am's of who Jesus says he is. Because you may have accepted Christ. You may have been born again. And some weeks ago, we touched on that. I invited some of you to come up. And you shared your initiation into the spirit realm. Because to be born again, when Jesus told Nicodemus this, it is, you're born of the flesh, but now you are, need to be born of the spirit. And, and interestingly, born again is only used once in all of the gospels. But discipleship is used over 70 times, right? 78 times in, in Matthew, 43 times in, in Mark, 23 times in Luke. So it is used incredibly. It's over 70 times, 78 times in the book of John. So it's used in, 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 an, amazing, in, in an amazing way. So God calls us into what we call a life of discipleship. To be a follower of Christ. To follow Him. What does it mean to follow Him? Followership. What, is it, what does it mean to, to really follow Him? Yes. You know, do, you, do some of you remember the song? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Good. That's it, come on. Jesus is the way. Sing it again. Jesus is the they, they need to hear it on the recording. Come on, louder. There's no other. Jesus is the way. If you have questions in the corners of your mind and traces of discouragement and peace you cannot find, reflections of the past, they seem to face you every day. But there's one thing I know for sure, that Jesus is the way. That one thing I know, one thing do you know, one thing. Is that one thing so certain in, in your life? Is this one thing so evident in your life that Jesus is the way? So if, his, if he is the way, then everything else that may loom and come to you in, a, in the form of advice, has to grow, go through this grid of Jesus being the way. That's the grid. That's the grid that I need to look at. Not the grid of disappointment, so I don't dare try. So I now begin to try and... I, I, I begin to try, thanks. I begin to try and, and, and work out this... 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 this this other way of belief so that I can then cope with my Christian walk. Because to trust is so hard and I trusted and I was disappointed. So let me say this. 
I don't think it's for all. Maybe it's for some. And then we, you know what? Maybe I'm not one of his favorite. See, John slept on his chest. And the three others were closer. So maybe I'm one of those 70 or maybe that 300. Maybe I'm further out there. Oh, you need to be uh, maybe a pastor. Oh, I think Pastor Larry is his favorite. <laughs> you know? And if you think so, please come. Come into my world. <laughs> and, and then ask yourself, man, it doesn't look like you're his favorite. <laughs> you know? And so we, 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 we begin, we, we need these things in order to help us cope. But Jesus has never called us to cope. He's called us to overcome. He's never called us, hey, come on, cope in your Christianity. But he said, come on, let's overcome. Let's be overcomers. Because he says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Right? Who strengthens me. I can do all things. Right? So this, this series is about reintroducing this aspect of Jesus. So that he becomes front and center. So he's the center of everything. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, Hey, can I introduce Jesus to you? Reintroduce, I mean, can I? Let me reintroduce Jesus to you. Right? Let, let, let me reacquaint you to him. You know, the, 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 the simplest things in the Bible often offer the deepest truths. And it is these very things which within our Western, Western mindset often is quickly written off as insignificant or secondary. And that, that aspect can actually open the door to the greatest spiritual truths of which Jesus spoke about. So when you look at these seven aspects, you think they're actually very simple statements. But within that simplicity, within those simple statements lie a depth of reality and spiritual truth that is deep. And if we don't go deep within this, then we will always look at this as something that is really insignificant. Now, in, 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 in Matthew, Peter, I'm just going to read this. Peter made this declaration about Jesus. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea in Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So I want to put this to us here. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one other prophet. Sorry, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, he asked them, but who do you say I am? Say it with me. But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all of the powers of hell will not conquer it. And this is profound. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I give you the keys, right? I give you the keys. So God has, Jesus has given us these keys. Now imagine what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this, that, hey, there, there are versions of me being talked about in the community. There are so many different versions out there. So he asked those following him, and it was Peter who piped up and actually declared that he's the Messiah. Now that was the key. He followed him and then came to a revelation. So when Jesus asked Peter to follow him, doesn't mean that he was born again as such. He followed. He watched. He observed. And after a while of following, he became a disciple. And he became a disciple upon the revelation of who Jesus is. So often that, that happens to us, we follow. So based on revelation, Peter was then made aware of that he would be given these tools and they were keys, the kingdom of heaven, God's domain, God's economy, God's world. Not just that he was, not just that, but he was also then given the ability to decide what he would like to permit to enter into the sphere and what he would then forbid. Imagine that. You and I get to decide that. How much of that do you believe? You and I get to decide this aspect. That we get to permit what is in heaven. We, get, we, we are that. So if we open the door to something that needs to come in, it, it, it will come in. But now, if you, like that door, you put a false door over it, you put a, you put a false floor over this opening, that now he comes and he gives you this key. Now you put this false covering over it. So over time, what happens is that this will never be open to you. This portal will never, ever be open to you. And for years, you can go on just being that. And this year, friends, can we please address all of these aspects in our lives? As we begin to see, as we begin to allow ourselves to be reintroduced, to be reacquainted to Jesus, let's look afresh at all of these things and believe that, I can do all things and believe that I stand here within, the, with, within this environment where now I can summon heaven to come down. I can summon. And that's not pride in you. That's actually taking your place. That's actually taking our place. That's actually sonship. That is, that is real sonship and, do, and, and daughtership. Amen? So the context here is this, that uh, is, is uh, uh, John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. I remember when I was, when I was young, I, I, I used to every now and then follow my dad to these, uh, I wouldn't want to say quacks because I, I don't know whether they were, maybe they are, maybe in, in today's day and age we will call them that. But they were these, these Chinese dental, my dad used to work in, in the dental field and so, so we used he used to go to these, these places where there were these traditional Chinese dental kind of um, shops or, you know, storefronts or whatever. And, you know, I mean, if you've been in Malaysia, you would see they're made out of timber and out of... And I remember once walking, and there was this whiff of... 
Man, this smell of baked fresh bread. Oh, and it smells so nice that we just had to go and buy that. And it was this nice warm bread. And when I, when I ate that till today, now this is like maybe 50, 40, no, 40 plus years and that passion for that still remains. When I smell fresh bread, I get lured to it. I get just drawn to this fresh bread that is warm and nice. You know, it just, there is, there is this something. That, that was my initiation into the bread world. And, and, and it, still, it, it, still, it still remains. And I can't, I can't really... I can't really, really forget that. So when Jesus says in, in John chapter 6, verse 35, what is he speaking to, to the Jewish people at that day and age? At that day and age, what was this significance of? So Jesus said that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and, whosoever, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The literal version, in, if, if we take it out from the Greek, the literal version means this. I exist as the bread of existence. I exist as the bread of existence. Right? So, let, let me introduce you into this bread world by, 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 by quoting a, a, a modern-day Jew that, that, wrote, that wrote about this. As the son... Actually, the Semitic. So, as the son of a of, of a Syrian family, I was brought up to think of bread as possessing a mystic, sacred significance. I never would step on a piece of bread fallen on fallen in the road, but would pick it up, press it to my lips for reverence, and place it in a wall or on some other place where it would not be trodden upon. What always seemed to me to be one of the noblest traditions of my people was their reverence to the Aish, which means bread, literally the life giver. That's what it means, the life giver. While breaking bread together, we would not rise to salute an arriving guest. Whatever the social rank, whether spoken or not, our excuse for not rising and engaging in the cordial salutation before the meal was ended was our reverence for the food. We could, however, and always did, invite the newcomer most urgently to partake of, of, of this food, of the, of the bread. The aish was something more than mere matter, inasmuch as it sustained life. It was God's own life made tangible for his child, man. To feed upon, the Most High himself fed our hunger. Does not the psalmist say, Thou open thine hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So everything the Jew did, they did in the name of God. In the name of God, they would plant the seed. And they harvested. They would thank God for the harvest. As they ground the grain, the name of their God would be on their lips. When the wife would 
kneaded and baked the bread, blessings would pour forth from their mouth. Is it any wonder then that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he began with, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And immediately goes into, give us this day our daily bread. Such a significant aspect. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, friends, it is so deep. Way deeper than any one of us may have ever considered. Right? He brings everything that they know about and think about. He brings the whole context of them being fed in the wilderness manna, which is referred to as the bread of heaven. Or it actually means, what is it? The word manna, what is it? Because they were wondering what it is. But as you find in, in the Gospel of John, it talks about the bread of heaven. So he brings that context, and then he begins, he begins to address this. So a person here now can survive on bread and water. It was one of the staple food to the Jewish people. Right? Bread was used in the Passover. We use the terms break bread together. So all of this somewhat kind of, kind of dovetails in here. This is the scene behind, behind all of this, that when he says, I am, uses these stewards, I am the bread of life. I am, he equates himself to Yahweh. I am. So there are some powerful aspects happening here that is really starting to aggravate the Pharisees. They're getting angry. They're getting annoyed. Because he is now saying he is Yahweh. He is on the same level. And now he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Right? So all of that, he's, he's, he's pulling into this aspect, right? In fact, the, the context is also, as you, as you find, and I mentioned it last week, but I'll say it again. It's the feeding of the, the 5,000, right? And he had five loaves and, and two fish. Five loaves. And they would probably be this size. Oops, it's broken. They would pro- probably be this size now. I need, how many here consider yourself disciples of Christ? Come on, raise your hands. Who's a disciple of Christ? Okay, Jan, come out. Tendai, come out. Uh, who else? Come on. Disciples of Christ, don't now suddenly put your hands down. <laughs> come on, don't put your hands down. Don't put your hands down. Don't put your hands down. Katya. Thank you. Who else? Who else? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. Let me get another guy. Hey, hey don't go out yet. Maybe I'm, I might call you. <laughs> Amen. Okay, who else? Who else? Uh, Shami. Come, Shami. And uh, let me get guy three. Okay. No, maybe not guy three. Someone else that doesn't normally come up here. Who is it? Ah, Ejong. Come on. Okay. Okay, now what I want you to do is this. Now, imagine you are this hungry People, now you're hungry and you are angry. Yeah, you're hungry and angry because you're hungry. I mean, how many hungry people are not angry? Come on, tell me, please. I'm sure you're angry as well, right, when you're hungry? And if you don't answer, so you're hangry, right? So there were, there were 5,000 or more hangry people there. And then Jesus tells Philip to do what? You go and feed them. 
And you know, in the gospel it says that he was actually testing them. And Philip says, how can you? Because immediately he's thinking natural. Natural. Oh, you know, he starts to think strategically, you know, oh, the coals is not open. You know, Aldi is not open. You know, how can we, we don't have enough money to feed all of these people. So, so then Andrew goes and goes and takes it from William, come here. Come, William. Now, William is this young boy that has his five loaves. And he's coming, he's happy with his bread and his two fish and he's coming. And then now suddenly Andrew goes to him. I need this. Come on, don't simply give him quickly. Come on, fight with him. Fight with him. There must be some fight there, some tussle, right? That's going and so he's pleading and all of that happens. He takes it, thank you. And he goes. So, Shambi, please join them. And then he goes there. Uh, William, okay. Now, yeah, you can go back. I don't know whether the boy would have cried, so maybe imagine just cry and go home. You know, that sort of a thing. You know, all of that is happening there. The poor boy now has lost his lunch. So takes it, then brings it to Jesus. I'm going to assume the part of Jesus here, right? And so brings it to Jesus, and he, Jesus says, gives thanks, and then he breaks it, right? And now he gives him Gives her, gives him, and gives him. And friends, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that Jesus multiplied that? Do you believe that Jesus is going to multiply this? Yes? Praise God. All the best, guys. I want you to go. I, I, I want you to I want you to go. I want you now to go and feed them. Now, don't give them little, little bits, okay? Give them what you think they would have given. <laughs> Friends, I want you to really observe this. I want to bring you into that space in time. So, just spread yourselves out and... Go. And, and go. You need to break it and give it to them. Go. Come on. You've got one minute. One minute. Hallelujah. And this is happening. Whilst this is happening, what do you think was going on? While they are breaking bread and they are giving it, that would not have been happening. Because that would have multiplied, right? That scene would have gone on. Now, I heard someone say, I, 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 someone say, there was a need then, but there isn't a need now. And that is the absolute truth. Why would Jesus now multiply the bread here when there isn't a need? But when there is a need... He will take that and he will multiply. But imagine the faces of the people when this guy goes with that size of a barley loaf and he begins to break it and he begins to give it and it multiplies. You break it and you give it and suddenly, man, the same piece appears again before your very eyes. And so now he begins to now take them, right? And he goes, and he goes further, right? So Jesus takes this. So, it's multiplied. 
So my wife is saying, trust a woman to do that. <laughs> the men were more generous. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, man, isn't it fun to be in the house of the Lord, huh? That's so good, right? Right, so, so Jesus now takes, takes this moment now to begin to teach them because after that, they, they then follow Jesus and the disciples to the other side of Galilee. When the crowd sees Jesus, that Jesus has left, they followed him again. Now Jesus takes his moment then to teach them a lesson and he accuses the crowd of this, of ignoring his miraculous signs and only following him for the free meal. Because he says this in, in chapter 6, verse 27. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So he is breaking this mindset that they have of natural food, of the physical realm. He's breaking this mindset and he's using the bread of life as a teaching lesson. Now, that needs to happen in today's world, in our lives. He needs to break our natural desire to begin to trust in the natural things. He has to break that. So when you go through challenges, my friend, it is because you are one of those honored and privileged individuals that God now wants to take you into the supernatural realm and teach you what is beyond the physical that is available to you. Because if otherwise, you will never experience this life that he talks about. That he talked to Nicodemus about, you're born of the flesh, now you need to be born of the spirit. Amen? So there are, and, and, and he, he begins to then now tell, tell them this, that God gave them manna during the desert wandering. But in fact, they said, give us some signs. And then they mentioned about all of this manna from this and that, from, from when Jesus fed them. And Jesus' response is this. He responds by telling them that they need to ask for the true bread from heaven that gives life. So when they ask Jesus for this bread, he introduces this truth. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want to go through five real, real quick points here, right? So five important aspects that we can draw out of this is, is this. The first thing he says is this. He equates himself with bread. Jesus is saying now he's the essential for life. Move beyond this that is your essential into me now becoming your essential, right? And it is not some sort of a replacement theology here. It is a theology of encounter. It is a theology of revelation. We don't replace it. We don't replace Jesus. We encounter him. Something must be revealed to us. So many times we try to replace him. But what Jesus is saying is this. There needs to be a revelation as, man, as, as Peter had. Peter had this revelation and, and, and that leads you into this, into this encounter. You know, remember last week I shared four, four aspects. Knowledge, understanding, revelation, encounter. They had knowledge. They had understanding. 
But then came the revelation and then the encounter. So our journey thus far could probably be knowledge and understanding. So when we have this sort of worship that's going on in the last few weeks, it is something that it is taking us into another world. It is taking us into another realm, not just for Sundays, but in your own privacy. It needs to. You, you drink from here to continue there, to, co- to continue in, in your own homes, right? The second point he, he's saying is this. Jesus is trying to get the Jews now to think of... It, the, sorry, let, let me phrase it this way. Jesus is trying to get the Jews thinking of the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. He is contrasting what he brings as the Messiah with the bread, he miraculously cre- which he miraculously created that day before their very eyes. So this was physical bread that perishes. He is now the spiritual bread that brings eternal life and that will never perish. Point number three, very, very important here is this. He is making another claim to deity. Right? The statement is the first of the I am statements, first of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The phrase I am is a covenant name of God, which means Yahweh. Revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And the phrase speaks of self-sufficient existence. So earlier when I said I'm the bread of life, the literal in the Greek is it is the bread of existence. I exist. It is the bread of existence. So there is this cool, cool relation that they knew. They knew. And he's addressing that. He had, no, he had no concern about it. He needed to address this. So, so the phrase speaks of self-sufficient existence or what theologians refer to as aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y which is an attribute only God possesses. It, also, it's, it is also a phrase that the Jews who were listening would have automatically understood as a claim to deity. Instead, Jesus' statements, they are meant as absolutes. I am means I am, have been, and always will be. They are statements that only God can rightfully make. And this is what so angered the Jewish leadership. So the Jews believe in a monotheistic God, right? And now Jesus comes and uses that same term that that what was used when Moses asked, whom should I say sent me? Say, I am. So the association of Jesus as God in flesh rocked their world. But they then now begin to see these miraculous signs and they can't refute that either there is something about this person. And the fourth aspect he, he says is this. There are two words he uses in this. Two very important words. He says, come and believe. Come and believe. So this is an invitation for those listening to now place their faith as Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God. So the invitation to come is found throughout the Gospels of John. Uh, Sorry, throughout John's Gospel. Coming to Jesus involves making a choice to forsake the world and actually follow Him. Give me Jesus 
Take everything else, but give me Jesus. So come. So there is an active part that we now begin to come. And the other is believing in Jesus means placing our faith in Him, that He is who He says He is, and that He will do what He says He will do. And that He is the only one who can. He's the only one who can. It is to a place of explicit trust. To a place of explicit trust. Excuse me. Remember, remember I said this, this year I felt the Lord dropped three words. One is trust. Trust more. Love more. Live in the spirit of expectancy. Come on, church. I've said this quite a few times. I need you to say this with me. Because... We need to ride that wave all together. Say it with me. Trust more. Love more. Live in the spirit of expectancy. One more time. Say, trust more. Love more. Live in the spirit of expectancy. Do you want to embrace that this year? Praise God. He's going to take you through initiations of trust. Meaning, you're going to be put in places where you have no choice but to trust. Amen? Amen. You're going to be put in places where you're going to need to love more. Someone that you just cannot stand, you've got to love. Someone that just annoys you, you've got to love. I'm sure we all have that. Right? I'm sure we all have that. I'm sure we are that too to others. I'm sure we are that too to others. Right? Right? So it's going to benefit. People are going to love you more and you're going to love people more. Right? And live in the spirit of expectancy. Man, I'm so excited. God's, God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but God's doing something because He knows it. He knows what is happening. He knows what is happening. He knows what is happening. And the only choice I have is to obey. The only choice I have is to trust. The only choice I have is to love. And to love whom? To love Him more too. Right? To love Him more too. Now, I'm scared that when I go home, my wife will use it against me. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to love me more? You know? But how fortunate I can say to her too. Aren't you supposed to love me more? <laughs> amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So all the events. And, 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 and the fifth aspect, the final aspect here is this. That the words hunger and thirst. He says there is this context of hunger and thirst. Again, it must be noted that what? Jesus isn't talking about alleviating or removing or relieving, rather, physical hunger and thirst. He's not telling them that. But the statement that he makes, and if you remember this, the Sermon of the Mounts, on the Mounts, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says this Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied, filled, fill me up till I overflow. I want to run over. 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 Fill me up. Amen. Fill me up. You know, so to be filled, to be satisfied, to be satisfied. So here we find that when Jesus says those things to, to those who are listening to come to him, and that you will never hunger and, 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 and thirst. He's saying, in fact, it says that, if, that you will never hunger 
And those who believe in him will never thirst. He is simply saying this, that he will satisfy our hunger and our thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. Because there's a thirst for that. Because, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a yearning deep within human existence for the spiritual. But it is, it is being sought after in the natural. We naturally try to seek for the spiritual hunger because we don't know that it is actually there and God has actually really placed it there for us to begin to come to Him. And that's why He says that, that the world, it is, it is not through what the world begins to offer. So Paul begins to say that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't conform to the world, but desire to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Do not conform. Do not take on what the world is telling you to do and do not, and, and then be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And, and you know, as we, as, we, as, we begin to, as we begin to consider and, and look at this aspect, what is God now speaking to you today? He says this in verse 32 of chapter 6. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. Because we're very quick to deny God and what God does and what God can do. We go to the natural aspect. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of, of God is one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So then the manna which came from heaven was not the true bread of life. While it may have been quite miraculous, this miracle was only to serve as a sign pointing to the true bread of life, which is Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. So he said way back in the Old Testament. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Amen? So what was concealed in the form of Jesus bringing the bread of life, has now been revealed in the New Testament because there's reference made to the manna that came from heaven. And you know, it is interesting that people say that now there is, in, in, in certain places in Mesopotamia, that there are these flakes that you can actually collect, which is, tastes like honey. But you know, it can only be collected in the morning because it vanishes in the afternoon. For real. But, friends, that only falls on trees. So, if people think this is not a miracle, now you ask yourself, in the wilderness, you mean there are that many trees to feed millions? So, it wasn't a miracle. But God still used something that was happening in order to create this amazing miracle. That's the kind of God we serve. Right. You know, that's this amazing God that we serve. So, is he, your, is he the true bread of life to you? Is he yours 
Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. Is he, does he sustain you? You know, when you, when, when, when you begin to prepare your sandwiches, when you take this bread and when you begin to look at it, let it remind you of this, of this miracle. You know, let it remind you of the fact that, that, that he, is, he is the bread of life. 